Anthony, uh, so Anthony, who prefers AJ, hey AJ, uh, is an out-of-the-box radical hybrid who's obsessed with all things entrepreneurship, that's always hard for me to say, and employee experience. Uh, current three-time founder, startup advisor, HR tech advisor, executive, and proud son. His rise within the world of HR and entrepreneurship is one that is definitely not typical, but his focus and dedication to putting employees first drives him to help foster change the world of work. And he is currently working on a brand that will hopefully forever change the world of work, the E1B2 Collective, a collective of brands and practitioners designed to make substantial employee experience within the world of startups and small brands. So really, really amazing backgrounds. Um, and these two amazing folks are going to talk to us today um, about these three major takeaways. So the first being advantages of hiring a culture ad talent, right? and how to vet whether a candidate qualifies as a culture ad in the first place, right? And really talking about this in the backdrop of what is a culture fit versus culture ad. Uh, the second being how to improve HR processes to prioritize transparency as a catalyst for healthy company cultures. And then lastly, real tangible tips for cultivating the kind of welcoming, collaborative work environment that attracts the right people. So really big topics today. Thank you all for joining. I'm going to pass it off to Michael to uh, kick us off. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for being here. Um, just get ready. There's going to be a lot of excitement, a lot of, of high energy. So um, if you need to bring some people around, if you need to start the Zumba class, get ready because uh, these next uh, 60, 90 minutes are going to be filled with some great conversation. My name is Michael Ogusonia. I'm a Nigerian American. Uh, 24 years old, just turned 24 this July, and I have fallen in love with healthy workplaces. Um, it started for me at such an early age to where, um, Gabby mentioned, my Meyerhoff scholarship allowed me to intern at a Fortune 10 company. Um, I, you can imagine that's the dream, you know, 18 years old, getting paid a whopping $20 an hour. I was like waving money in my like siblings' faces as if, you know, I'm the king of the world. Um, but in an opportunity to grow so much in my vertical, in my career, um, it was so unfortunate, but I experienced a manager that didn't understand how leadership tones, how the um, cultural strategies that have been outlined can reflect into the diverse workforce and the diverse intern that I was within the organization. It was just a comment that I felt was so um, out of the norm um, to describe how I dressed that day. I knew that companies need more education and need more resources in order to better implement uh, more healthy company cultures. And it really starts with data as an emphasis of what Mindstand has been able to do, bringing data to the workplace. I'm really glad to meet with you all calling from the East Coast, and I can't wait to share more on what culture means in a workplace. Love that. Thank you for sharing. Anthony, I want to give you space as well to share a part of your story if that you feel called to. 100%. Yeah. So my name is Anthony Vaughn. I'm the uh, VP of partnerships here with MindStand. So I'll keep it pretty brief. Uh, I started at 19 years old, um, built my first brand. So I, I built out a year-round football academy with Under Armour. Um, we grew to 70 full-time staff, a million in sales, and kind of the rest of my life from that point was forever changed, as I think we all can imagine. Um, you know, being 19 and, and having that type of responsibility is now that I look back at 32, kind of interesting. Um, 
I don't know what anyone else on this call was doing at 19, but it probably wasn't trying to make some of those decisions that I was making. Um, but uh, inevitably, three years down the road of building that brand, made a lot of crucial mistakes in the people operations space. And uh, that ended that business due to some of those mistakes. And so for me, um, I, I, I take on this world from a little bit of a different angle. Um, I don't personally have any significant stories that have impacted uh, my time as an employee. I literally lost the business model that I was providing for my family due to some of these issues. Um, and so the level of intensity of veracity that I bring to this, this this conversation is something that I think is a little bit different because my, my literal well-being was um, taken away from me, um, obviously due to the mistakes that I was making. And to speed the story up, I dedicated the rest of my life to this work. Um, I started studying three hours a day, every single day around all things DE&I, human behavior, organizational psychology, um, neuroscience, etc. And uh, inevitably stumbled upon another brand that I founded. Um, I went on to become a head of people for a bit of time, a speaker, writer, podcasting. Um, so I've been playing this space for a while and, and, and trying to bring value to not only mind stand, but just the world at scale when it comes to people operations. So um, a little bit of a hybrid of a lot of different skill sets, but I definitely love this work and, and trying to bring value today. I love that. Thank you both for sharing your experiences. Clearly, there's a wealth of knowledge and not just that, a wealth of expertise from real life work that you've done. Um, and it's not just the work externally. It sounds like there was a lot of intrinsic work that got you to where you are today. And I'm really excited to dive into this. I have a great amount of questions for both of you. And the first, I really want uh, to help people frame um, where they are right now in their company, right? Because I think that when we talk about making improvements, we see the future. Um, but we need to do that reflective work. So to start off, how do you know if your company culture isn't where it needs to be in order to retain employees in the first place? Yeah. Um, can everyone in the company sh share the company vision? Can everyone there share the company mission? Um, can an engineer as easily as um, an HR manager explain where the next month, where the next three months of the company is going? I think company culture is so focused around alignment and when you receive that level of alignment where people intrinsically and extrinsically are just excited to be where they are, um, you see that alignment. And that really falls within the lines of culture ad. Um, how do you get people that understand what the values are, what the mission, have accessibility towards the leadership team? And in turn, they're able to create such a huge um, ROI on the position that you thought, you know, a $50,000 or $60,000 salary would provide. But they're bringing hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in revenue and opportunity back to it. So all around transparency, all around ensuring the vision and the mission is crystal clear across all members. It's how I would define a, a strong company culture. Oh, my turn. Uh -huh. um, so I think, uh, where do I want to go with this? I try to get super sticky and tangible, but I'll keep it brief. So Michael knows this and, and a lot of folks that have kind of come across my content knows that I've kind of been coined as like the E1B2 guy, right? Employees first. And what I really mean by that is I try to contextualize each employee's experience. So in my opinion, in order to increase retention or, or have a culture that is based around high levels of productivity, high levels of inclusivity, high levels of equitable experiences, I believe the head of people, the chief people officer, the CEO, the COO 
anyone sitting at that C-suite level should, number one, be hiring managers that take on that employee first mindset and the leadership rubrics that put them in that position should be designed as so. And so what I really mean by an employee first mindset is quite literally whether it's career mapping, internal communications, their salary, their bonus structure, um, some of the benefits that they have access to, um, the communication flows, how decision making models are, are, are generated and created within a team. All of those should be taking in the consideration and the point of view of an individual of one. And, and I think a lot of companies think that's very difficult to pull off because you're a 50,000 person company, 20,000, 1,500. But if you, if you look, if kind of unpack what I said, if you really understand the leaders and you make sure the leadership rubrics that put those leaders in that position, understand that methodology, the leaders are looking at a team of 10 a team of 20, a team of 15. So it's a lot easier to be able to have a leader go to each individual employee and make sure that the career mapping ladder, if you will, or the learning and development modes are created contextually around their point of view. Um, so I try to get really, really, really granular and make it practical, but also go really high level. Um, yeah, I'll pause there because I can keep going. But those are my general thoughts around how to how to do some of that good work. Yeah, I love that. And what I'm hearing, too, is that there's this need to have this consistent and, and cohesive um, uh, team around the values, right? The values of a company bring you together. But there's also the need to identify and honor individuality, right? So we are this team. We are this collective. But we are autonomous in a sense that we, we have different needs. And, and those all contribute to the culture ad mentality, right? So my next question for y'all, I would love to see if you can best explain or promote the idea of a culture ad and really honoring folks that can show up and, and add to the culture of your company um, versus what is a culture fit and why that's not sufficient um, in the work that you do. Definitely. And AJ, you described it so well. Um, we'll definitely share some ways and, and places to hear more about how we talk, hear more about how AJ shares um just the space you know one of the first things I, I love approaching companies and i ask everyone here to think about this is your company um running in a uh, how is the company hierarchy is it a flat-based model or is it more um of hierarchical here if i can i would love to um, share that in the polls again when you think about your company how decision decisions are made how information is passed between one another how managers and employees communicate between one another is it a flat style where you as the CEO, you as an employee feel very connected to the next person, feels though like you can just pop on a Zoom call, a Slack and get the information that you need and that you can create uh, deliverables to which you started and you finished versus hierarchical. Did you intentionally or sometimes unintentionally create ways for people to collaborate within a certain structure? where in order for a social media post to come out, it has to be confirmed by someone. In order for a business copy to come out, it has to be confirmed by the next person. So if I can, still new to Zoom, so I'm trying out new tools, would love to see. And please feel free to share in the chat. Uh, do you find your company culture? I see one person say hierarchical, or do you see it as flat uh, within your culture? I think, I, think well, I can definitely uh, go for it. No, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, just based on that uh, concept, when you think of flat uh, structures, um, what culture ad is, is um, horizontal marketing. It's horizontal approaches towards bringing people in, where if you have a flat culture, I should say this now, 
do not hire someone and tell them that it's um, hierarchical. Don't uh, change the nature of the business to be more hierarchical without informing everyone on the team. So when you want to create culture ads, again, people that can come into the organization and immediately add to the culture, whether that be with new expense reports, happy hours, new business models, templates, policies and procedures that you as the business owner knows that this is objectively beneficial to my company. It's your job to empower them. If you want culture fit, you're thinking about very finite and quantitative goals. We need to increase revenue by X percent. So I want to bring someone in that um, people use the word trust or <clears throat> can get the job done or um, feels like the right match. Um, when you think, when you hear some of those words, question yourself and are you thinking about someone that can do something finite or someone that can add to an exponential level to the culture of your company? So I think from a flat perspective, that's, that's how I think of it. AJ would love, love to get your thoughts there on culture ad. Yeah, I'll keep this one brief and it kind of connects to, I think, what we're going to continue to talk about in this conversation. Um, the recruiting communications and Michael was kind of alluding to some of that is incredibly important. Uh, and I'll make a very direct statement here to anyone. This is some of the intensity and veracity that comes out. Um, I'll make a very direct statement to any recruiters that are on this call, any chief people officers that are on this call. Um, Think about this like dating. Now, follow along what I'm saying here. Anytime you go on a date, typically, we try to show up our best selves. We typically do, right? The best, in my opinion, humans that are trying to have a long-term relationship are very candid and honest about who they actually are day to day, right? They're not worried. Now, don't get me wrong. They're aesthetically doing the best that they can to look the best presentable, like as we all do, events, family outings, wherever it's going to be. But they're very vulnerable with their values. They're very vulnerable and, and transparent around some of their strengths, some of their weaknesses. Because inevitably they know to have a long-term relationship with someone, they're going to find out anyway, right? Like my fiance downstairs, when I first met her, I told her very directly, I got a lot of things wrong with me here. And here, here are some of them. So you're going to have to get over that or, or not. Or eventually find a way for me to change and go through the ebbs and flows. So it's the same thing in business. I believe a culture ad is very simple. Companies today, recruiters today, heads of people today are doing, I think, that look aesthetically the best, look at the employer branding, look at the job description, and they're explaining to the candidates the opportunity from the most optimistic point of view. And they're completely ignoring some of the variables and the factors that are very, very either disturbing or just not quite figured out yet that it that really can churn out very high level productive employees. And, and if you met, if you if you kind of tracked what I was saying in the previous rant, decision making models, internal communications, career mapping, these are like little subtle elements of, a, of an organization that can really churn out very high performing talent. And so in my personal opinion, when it comes to a culture ad to kind of tie all this in, you have to be viscerally honest, very direct. Do not be afraid of pushing away a high potential, a high potential uh, professional or a high level employee, because here's the harsh reality. You bring them into the organization, they're inevitably not going to fit and be a part of your company at best case scenario, six months, and you're going to lose a lot of money regardless. And so very similar to the dating world, they're going to find out anyway. 
So your might as well be honest and upfront in the beginning, um, but this is something that I think we all can admit companies are very, 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 very scared to do. And I think we're unpacking years of PR and trying to be the most aesthetically pleasing company in the world without being very vulnerable and honest and transparent. Um, I'll pause there though. Yeah. Oof. Oof. That yeah, was, that was it. <laughs> I love that analogy and I think that really shifts the, the conversation about responsibility, right? Especially in the beginning, making um, companies responsible for being truthful. Um, because sometimes when you say, oh, we're not retaining talent, but, you know, it, it's hard to do that introspective work. But really it's from the get, which I really appreciate. And on the flip side of this, we talked about this a little bit so far, but another question for y'all is um, how can recruiters, right, or anybody who is hiring talent, are there any shortcuts for them in figuring out if they're hiring? the right people to support their culture, right? So we're talking about companies really being honest. How can people um, on the company side really know that the people that they're hiring support the culture? Um, I, I would say one of the biggest things is, you know, what are you doing as a company towards hiring the recruiting manager? Just to what AJ said, approach it with transparency. Um, don't talk about the snack machine before you talk about, you know, what are your goals and how you've been able to accomplish them. One of the most successful things I've seen in a company is within one of the first um, 30 days, every new hire gets to have a meeting with the managing director. And this is a firm now of over 200 people. So they're going, they're actively showing you that it's not, you're not big enough yet, or, or there aren't too many things that are blocking you from being intentional. You won't believe how much 15 minutes for you as a managing director sitting on an onboarding call can really impact the uh, transparency and the feeling that they're a part of the organization. So, of course, it's key when you're hiring someone to outline what they need to do in terms of time to hire, quotas, people that you're reaching out to. But make sure that they have an open access to the uh, CEO to the, and then ensure the head of HR, if it's at a more hierarchical structure, has access to that CEO as well. Ultimately, again, your job as the CEO, your job as a managing director is to hire, is to create a company that people want to work for. So never lose sight of that. And you're going to, in, in turn, hire hiring managers that won't get burnt out faster and to understand why these vision that the CEO is saying is directly leading to the persons that they choose to bring onto the team. So, so what I just did... Um... Michael and I have worked very hard to create certain categories that are incredibly important to communicate during this process. So I actually just pulled up some categories here. Now, many of these categories that I'm going to explain are categories that I think we all can, as we think about, as I explain these, we'll think about a lot of these categories show up onboarding to a year into your company, right? And so I'm going to rant some of these off and then I'll kind of connect what I'm really trying to say here. Leadership decision-making frameworks, change management communications, meeting structure and cadence, day-to-day -day operations, soft skills and how those soft skills show up, um, salary increases, um, handling misalignment, um, new idea generation, um, departmental, you know, uh, departmental new hire psychological safety during the first 90 days, internal mobility, team trust building, uh, bandwidth, um, team moments where you're growing and trying to stabilizing and you're going through some new executions or some new, or some new programming, speed and workflow, 
These are categories that every single hiring manager, if you were to have a conversation with them, they can explain at a very, very deep level around how those things show up in a department. And so if you're trying to hire someone, what I think is happening at a very general level is you're noticing that the heads of talent, the recruiters, the hiring managers are not having enough opportunities to get into some of those categories I just mentioned they're waiting into the onboarding. They're waiting for applicants and new hires to figure them out along the way. So some of those categories, we all have answers to them. And I'll even call out two more again. Like we all have answers around the ideation processing speed. And like if we're a leader right now, we know how we ideate and process new ideas. If a, if a, if a new hire comes onto our team with a, a slew of new ideas, we as a leader, we know how we're processing new ideas we know the bandwidth we have mentally. We know the workflow. We know how we process that. Now, a new hire coming onto your team may be coming from a company where they were micromanaged a lot. Their new ideas were never heard. And you may be the same type of leader. Now you're having it. Now there's a clear misalignment that no one knows about because no one shared this in the beginning. So if you're a leader that can be comfortable being very transparent around, hey, I do micromanage. And here are a couple examples of how I micromanage. But here's why. We're going through an acquisition here in the next 90 days, and I'm freaking out. <laughs> and this is exactly the reality of why. So if you can be very honest about really granular things that you know are going to show up throughout onboarding in your first six to nine months, push that communication to the front after the screening call, after round one, after round two, and be very honest. What you'll find, and there's the last point, you'll find amazing talent that you wish you could have that are inevitably not going to be aligned anyway, churn themselves out of the interview process. And you want that. You actually want that because those that are left, whether it's three or whether it's 50, those that are left are really going to be an operational and culture ad fit, not just a culture fit based off of where you hope they will be or if they can kind of finesse and find their way to be comfortable with the company that currently exists. Um, so that's a little bit more granular. And I think Michael wants to and add And if I that. may, of course, you know, AJ and I have so much experience here. But um, as part of working with Power to Fly, this call isn't just the, the end. You won't leave this call with not only great insights, there will be some amazing links towards some of the tools, some of the practices, and especially one of the newest products we have to ensure what has been mentioned around cultural competency and hiring culture ad is something you can use in your company today. So looking forward to, to sharing again how the work that we're sharing, the, the insights we have can really help your business today. I love that. Proactive communication. Instead of people asking you, you're sending those resources out. Um, and I love, right, that's that's the, the theme I'm recognizing, right? It's what you're sharing and when. What are you saying at what point of this process when you're trying to find if somebody is a culture ad? And um, it's really beautiful to hear um, there is this, this movement towards transparency early and transparency not about the snack machine, but beyond that. So I appreciate that so much. And I want to ask you all about... Um, and the opposite end of this, right, about stereotyping, right? Stereotyping and bias can be really rampant in the work culture. We know that there are some stereotypes of Gen Zs don't want to work or boomers don't want to learn anything new, right, etc. Um, but how can we encourage our recruiters and even seasoned employees to resist those inc often incorrect assumptions? I think the concept of an uh, on-site has gone so missing, Um I think it's, you know, as a company, you have to retain some level of responsibility 
if someone gets COVID. Um, that's kind of been the elephant in the room. I think two years in, um, you have to provide access to testing. You need to be able to cover, again, PCRs. You need to help your employee, especially with something that's affected everyone in this world, um, to get them to a point where they can still work and be healthy. Um, with that being said, again, the idea of bringing everyone on your team into a physical space and just sharing the air, um, hearing what ringtone they have when their phone goes off, um, being able to see their smile and everything that they are can be so beneficial in breaking down bias and just understand that we're human. You know, we're listening to podcasts, we're um, watching videos, movies, TV. It's hard to sometimes understand that, you know, that YouTube clip that you watched isn't the same person that you're working with day in and day out on some of the Zoom calls. And Zoom being Zoomed out is a very real thing. So I just really highly encourage companies to just think about how you can bring people into safe spaces. Again, outdoor events, the summer isn't over. Quite literally, fall will bring much better weather to where you can meet, uh, share a space, and then ultimately begin to break down some of these stereotypes. Because I, I know there was years, of course, of high contention around who is who and how certain demographics work together. But I think now more than ever, people do want to create a sense of pride, want to create a sense of connection between one another. So I personally believe and I love enacting ways, you know, whether it's a happy hour or just an onsite at the end of the quarter to meet, chat. Um, and it doesn't have to be, um, I guess there's, there's two things I'll say. One is it doesn't have to be a big event. It doesn't have to be a big expense to opportunity. It doesn't have to break the budget. Um, something that I learned, and this is from the, the president of the Skoll Foundation. She said, you know, Really, one of the reasons why she left one of her companies, um, and she was a senior there, is because they would do these happy hours, they'd do these events, but they'd be after work. So you're telling people after working an entire day to optional, but again, now you're creating these culture fit subcultures. Um, meet up somewhere, um, people have work, people have kids. Create a happy hour at 4.30. You know, create a happy hour at 4 p.m and give people time while they're working to actively participate in the culture. Because I promise you, in an eight-hour day, over five days, they have at least one hour that they could use to hopefully increase the efficiency for those rest um, 39. So I'll go to, um, I'll go to education here. Um, I, think, I think it's important to educate, number one, actually both. You should educate your hiring managers, your, your leaders internally, and educate your current employees around biases, right? Around under, like actually understanding how they show up and what that really looks like. Once you get past the education stage, and frankly, the education process, to Michael's point, can be done for relatively low cost or nothing at all. You have no idea how many DEI practitioners out there that study this work um, day in and day out that are just starting their consultancy, just starting their podcasting or keynote tour, if you will, of becoming their own professional brand that would gladly come and do a 30 minute, 45 minute hour training for very little cost or no cost at all. Michael, and I, Michael, am I right? Like there are so many out there that would do that to kind of to kind of get the ball rolling, to get their name out there, build some credibility. They'll do that. So there, the, to Michael's point, that's zero dollars right there. So now you have the education. You have the education on the hiring manager and leadership side of it. You have the education on the employee side. On the employee side, from an employee's first perspective, once they actually understand what those biases look like and how they showed up, now as an organization, I would ask your employees to reflect. 
Reflect on past comp companies. Reflect on past moments within this company where those biases have showed up for you and where you felt uncomfortable or whatever the case is going to be. And now at the same time, your leaders are now prepped and understood around how they can grow and become better. And so now you have a nice middle stage where employees are now being felt to, to have a psychological safe environment. Now they're reflecting on situations. Both members are now educated. And now we can have a more honest conversation where we can really figure out what can happen moving forward. I think on both sides, employees are getting very excited about a lot of the work that's happening in the DEI space off the backs of the George Floyd situation. I think that's really when you started seeing some things move. And they're holding companies to, I don't want to, I don't want to be disrespectful and say too higher of a standard, but we all have to recognize and have a little bit of empathy at the same time. We can't expect every single company, every single manager, every single recruiter to understand this work at a deep level. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of information to unpack. So employees, please be empathetic. Leaders, please hold yourself to a even higher of a standard when it comes to education. And then organizations, once you've educated your employers, once uh, once your managers, once you've educated your employees, that's where I think you can kind of sit in the middle and a lot of good work can be done. Absolutely. And uh, it's just really special to have like um, AJ here on the call and knowing the amount of work he's done in this space. I want to ensure people can really take in the advice around education as a key component towards reducing bias in the workplace. Um, I have seen companies do this well. I have seen companies not do this well. Uh, if you're going to do an unconscious bias training, please, uh, CEO, manager, director, hire, director of hiring, keep your mic on mute. It can't be understated how important it is to get an objective view on the status of the culture. Um, when sometimes the CEO or the, the director is giving this information. I've seen an entire hospital system um, when they wanted to unpack what the employee sentiment was after just a clear racist incident, um, they had to ask the CEO to leave the Zoom call because when you come in as a CEO saying, I need to establish an agenda, establish rules, but it's something that's as human as, as unconscious bias, you really create a, a sense of unease. So again, let the, the experts, and again, um, from what AJ said to some of the resources we both have, there's a myriad of DEI firms that would be glad to do this work for you. And then say, you know, even create a case study as to how this work has benefited both the client and the firm as well. So excited, excited to see some of the new spaces to which, you know, um, bias becomes less of an issue in the workplace. Yeah, so there's this proactiveness of connection, right? The human to humanness and, and really bringing it back to we're all humans. And and the better we understand one another and connect with one another, the better we're able to um, reduce that bias, hopefully. And and I love the, the proactive versus reactive, right? Again, it's what are you doing now, not waiting for something or an incident to come up to take action. I have another question. I would love to move into HR practices, right? So we've talked a lot about company culture. We talked about uh, culture ad and, and these types of ways. So I would love to hear, are there any tips on how to train hiring managers with HR complaint uh, interview practices? AJ, I would love for you to jump in. 
I'm sorry, my ADD kicked in here. I was looking at some of the comments. What was that question? Because I, I assume Michael was going to go first. So I looked over. <laughs> what was that question again? The comments are all praise, which is awesome. But yeah, 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 are there any tips on how to train hiring managers with HR complaint interview practices? HR, com- what was that? What was the last one? Uh, HR, oh, sorry, compliant <laughs> interview practice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, so, so the, the same answer as the one before. This one will be really brief. Um, I'm always a big proponent of bringing in subject matter experts um, in a very micro lane. Um, so, for instance, I know of a practitioner and a consultant right now where all she does is work on job descriptions and making sure they're inclusive and equitable. Like that is literally it. That is entire consultancy. And so there are many out there, whether it's compliance, whether it's job descriptions, whether it's um, going in and, and helping a company create leadership rubrics. So if any company's listening, I would recommend looking at companies and consultancies that focus on a micro instead of a macro. You look at, and this is no shot to Deloitte because Deloitte's a juggernaut and they've done amazing work, obviously, but Deloitte does everything. If you go on their, if you go on their service outline, there's I don't know, like 15 or 20 different services, which again, rightfully so, I get it, it's Deloitte, they're doing a lot of great work, but if I'm a company and I'm looking for one micro thing, I don't know if I'm going to Deloitte, right? I think I may be going to someone that's focusing on just that one thing. And I think if you can do that, you'll find that a practitioner and a leader that is, that is like literally that's all they do. So their service, their studying, their 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 tactics, their points of views, their frameworks are all going to be lasered in around that one variable of compliance. So I, that would be my recommendation. Um, I don't like to be BS anyone. That's not necessarily my expertise, but um, I'm a big, and this is actually the big thing at a macro level. Again, if there's any chief people officers listening, any folks that are maybe stewarding as a head of D&I, head of HR, whatever the case is going to be. I'm going to make a big, bold statement that I'm actually, I actually want to say to myself consistently, but I'll just say to the world too. We all need to stop being professionals that know everything and do everything. I'm great at just a couple of things. And Michael, I think you can contest, uh, uh, appreciate this and probably admit this. I'm bad at like 98% of things in business and nature. Like I'm horrible at them and that's okay. And I, and, I, and I wanna see more HR folks get more lasered in around what they love, what they're good at, what they're naturally inclined to be great at, and be proud of that. And I wanna see more companies appreciate that. An HR leader should be a facilitator. They should be a, a, a partnership guru and master. They should be a relationship cultivator. They should be having such a diverse and dynamic network and such a trust from the CEO where they have a budget and a pool of money they can go to if it's at their disposal and disperse that cash and build a collective of practitioners and, and leaders around them to work on every single micro component. But it's the complete exact opposite. Most companies are having these HR leaders do everything. Even at the chief people officer level, they're asking them to be a subject matter expert and an advisor and everything. And that's just not realistic. And frankly, I don't even think that's even smart. Because if you look at the greatest CEOs in the world, they're, 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 they're very broad and macro and great leaders around a, around a myriad of things, right? It's not just lasered in around this one ex- exact individual thing. And I think, frankly, Michael did a great example of that with MindStand. No, no offense or knock to you, Michael, but last time I checked, he's not a complete 
dominant person when it comes to code or engineering or things of that nature, but he's such a great leader. He does great partnerships. He, he's able to galvanize and motivate and put people in the right places at the right time. So that would be my actual advice to this question because I think more HR leaders can get behind that than trying to figure it out themselves. Yeah, and if I may, just the, the thing I see, um, and I'm glad to just, again, carry that mantle, uh, continue that work as CEO of MindStand. So the work I said around, you know, directors and CEOs need to be more vulnerable. Trust me, I think I know one or, or two, or, or maybe I, I am that person. So um, an employee wants to be heard. A part of the complaint is, you know, they need to be heard. By coming to you, there's something that needs to be said. Um, understand that that's sometimes just one one tip of the iceberg that they're mentioning. So never should you push things off. Never should you bring this information up without getting the full context. Because if I have an issue and I tell my HR manager and my manager talks to me the next day, I feel like nothing was really addressed other than what I said. So please um, take the time and again, reach out to an, an HR expert. I'll shortly be sharing an Airtable link we've generated of amazing DEI firms. Um, but take the time to understand what it means to handle a complaint, understand the culture of your company, and don't allow it to be just a way for the leadership to know what's going on. Ensure that employees feel heard and that what goes on is solved and then bring leadership in to show the full end, end of, uh, of what the work that you're doing. Because ultimately, as an HR manager, you're constantly battling with the concept of, you know, is my work being appreciated in the company? Am I carrying down the leadership perspectives of what policies should be in a way that employees respect it and see the authenticity? So always take the time to understand the full context of what these complaints and what these stories are. AJ would love what are your thoughts there? Yeah, you. I think you, you. You may have known, or maybe that we're like. Uh, I think Michael and I are kind of like a um, Michael and Pippin type thing. If you know anything about sports, I don't know if anyone does. It's a, it's a basketball analogy. But anyway, um, what I'm trying to say is, when he was going off of the back of the context and contextualizing things, I want to jump into that just to add one thing. Anytime you're kind of doing an investigation to understand some things and understand what happened or may have didn't happen. I'm seeing too many companies that are trying to get feedback from the employee and then the company doesn't agree with that feedback from the employee and they're siding on the leader because the leader is driving revenue for the business. Let me make something incredibly clear and this is that, that, this is that intense nature coming out again. Let me make something viscerally clear. There are amazing, 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 amazing leaders out there at scale. I don't care, and this is coming from a former CEO, of a six and seven figure brand, so I know what you're feeling. I get it, I get it. The bottom line, the money is important. I do not care how much money someone is financially driving for the business. I don't care how much productivity they're bringing, how much, how much structure they're bringing, how much industry knowledge they're bringing. If they are making consistently, employees feel like they cannot be heard, respected, valued, we're, because I'll tell you this, if there's a phenomenal CMO, and there's that CMO has a 25 person marketing department. I guarantee, now this may be hard to understand, you can find another phenomenal CEO, but show me where you can find quickly another 10 immediately really sharp practitioners that are that are going to be reporting to that CMO quickly. That turn that's 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 tough, and we've seen that. 
We've seen companies during the Great Resignation lose 20, 30, 40% of their staff literally overnight. Like this is not even an exaggeration, literally overnight. And so don't always side with the leader because you're paying them $150,000 salary and they've been there for 15 years and they're adding to your bottom line. Because if they're causing some dysfunction and they're causing folks to not raise their hand, you're losing out on so much innovation, so much inclusivity, and so much great value. So um, that was a direct statement to, to anyone, hopefully not on this one, but just macro. Uh, so. Yeah, well said and, and, and very, very employee first. You remain consistent, AJ, throughout this, which is nice. And on along the same lines of this, right, we'd love to hear your thoughts on performance reviews, PIPs or performance uh, improvement plans and what impact they actually have on company culture. Yeah, I really see performance improvement plans as one necessity, but two, it's one of the most quantitative ways to measure performance from an individual employee level. So of course, from an HR function, from a performance side, this really helps create the narrative of what the employee's lifespan has been, what the employee's journey has been within the organization. Oh man, uh, AJ, you're getting the praise and I'm really glad everyone here can get some tips and, and some notes from, from AJ. Uh, before, I'll make sure, if you don't do this, please share the E1BC pod a link here in the chat, uh, AJ. Um, <laughs> I know people would love to hear it. Uh, PIP, again, how can you create a structured way to understand the performance, the interactions that the employee has between one another, the issues or roadblocks that they have in this space, and how they can better improve the organization? Um, that's a much more facilitated process here at MindStand. We love asking three questions. What do you like about the work that you do? Um, that's one. One B is what do you love about what you do? Part two is what do you think we as a company can get better at? Part three is what's a space that you want to grow in that you believe mindset can help you get there? I think those three questions have been so helpful in understanding not only people's, again, intrinsic needs, what they think about when they see themselves, what they, with their friends and, and how they perceive themselves and their value, but extrinsic, how the company can grow and really craft an exceptional employee experience around what the employee wants themselves. So ultimately, when you think about performance improvement plans, it's set up in order to improve work, to track it and ensure you as a company are doing the right steps to improve work. But you always want to approach things, again, from a very emotional, empathetic side. How do you feel like your internal goals can be matched by the work that we can do? And it's, it's something as simple as, you know, a 30 minute talking point during a leadership call where you realize a whole waterfall of your business can be given to someone that really wanted to do that work, but maybe wasn't hired for that specific goal. That's the definition of culture ad, when things that aren't unexpected, but can be masterfully done by people that want to do the work. Again, culture ad creates more opportunities in places you haven't seen before in the business. All right. Well, first of all, I appreciate the uh, appreciation, Michael. Um, I'm trying to try to stay humble, but I guess I guess at times I can I can take on this Kanye West as can be a little arrogant at times. Uh, but no, but uh, so I, I'll go a little bit of a different direction. That's going to kind of piggyback on you, Michael. Um, I was listening to a podcast as I was scrambling to get here on time. Um, and I'm, I think I'm going to fumble on this percentage, but I'm going to try to remember it. I want to say 70 to 80 percent of employees that are put on pips actually end up getting fired. So that's a pretty bold statement. And 
So, because, follow with me here. The psychology that most HR leaders and companies have is once we put an employee on a PIP, that pretty much means there's been a consistent series of actions that have shown us that they are not cutting it. And this is the last shot to a certain degree, right? And I have a problem with that. And I, have a, I don't have a problem with the fact that this is the last shot from a psychology perspective, but I have a problem with the, that percentage being so high and the tactics that go into the PIP, right? I believe that going back to some of the categories, I pulled them up here. If someone's on a PIP, understand the psychology of how they actually got there because there could be a couple tweaks and adjustments within you as a leader or the department or the company that can make that pit completely different. So I'll give a couple examples, right? Your weaknesses as a leader, get that data and insight from the employee that you put on that pit. I had a situation with an employee where they just viscerally did not agree with the strategy that I was taking as the CEO of the, of the company and where we were trying to go. And it got to the point where they were so frustrated with that, with that vision and that point of view, and they didn't feel like they could share their perspectives with me, that they started just checking out. And they were a very high-performing employee. And over the next six months, I'm wondering, why are they just dropping off here? Why are they just completely not cutting it? I mean, it was because they personally were feeling disrespect for me because they didn't agree with the direction of the company. And this is a company they love so much. And so that disrespect turned into subconscious just checking out and not getting it done. And what I realized is that there was a misalignment or a misunderstanding around the vision of the company, why certain decisions were made. And all I had to do was fill that employee in on a couple of different factors and their complete behavior and personality and overall execution changed. I'll give you one last one. There could be some visibility and availability that that employee that you're putting on a pit does not have with you as a leader. So you as a leader could be doing a better job contextually understanding their learning and development style, creating a learning and development program that fits them personally, and really being able to give them more visibility. Ask them, how much availability, visibility and accessibility do you need from me? Is there a misalignment here? And they may say to you, hey, you were super available during the first six months of my tenure here, I know we're going through an acquisition or I know there's a lot on your plate, but I just don't see or hear from you anymore. And frankly, there's some couple things that I'm confused about and I have no one else to turn to. I don't want to look like I'm the weakest person on the team. I don't really have a great rapport with anyone else on the team. I looked at you as my mentor and all you have to do is say, you know what? Okay, let's not do this pit. Let me give you a little bit more time and availability to me and things could change dramatically. So again, Saying, you know, employee first guy here, but companies need to take more ownership. I, I think we're we're churning out a lot of employees that a couple of tweaks could change everything. And frankly, you could save a lot of money and time going to have to replace that person. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> Satya Nadella is the current CEO of Microsoft. He's been the current CEO of Microsoft for over eight years now, going on 10 years. Satya Nadella is an Indian-born man that got received a British education. No one there at Microsoft, if you asked them 20 years ago what the, who the CEO or what the CEO would look like, would be able to guess that. That's a fact. The fact that he's been able to grow the brand of Microsoft and its technology 
to where it is a household. Of course, it's been a household name, but the technology is so much more applicable. Only goes to show that when you're able to invest in people, when you're able to, as AJ said, make sure that transparency is a key thing, you should not only be able to know what's top of mind for CEO, but why um, they work in this direction. To that, I, I highly suggest DISC assessments, Meyer Briggs. I love, and AJ knows this, I could be a sales a spokesperson for a tool called Crystal Knows. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, Knows, K-N-O-W-S. And that's a tool by simply looking at someone's LinkedIn where you can understand who they are, how they communicate, and what's best to reach out for them. So I really wanted to bring up Satya as an example of when you are transparent, when you understand that it's not only about the singular person, but the brand, the company, and what the mission is, and empower and entrust people with the resources to grow, you'll be able to create a Satya Nadella of your company, a Satya Nadella of your department. And you'll see projects be done at a space where you don't have to question, you know, is someone checking out? Are there signs of burnout? Um, and again, by cultivating that with on-site, um, on-site visits, cultivating that with real human-to-human connections, you're building something bigger than just a business. You're building a culture and a, and a way of life that people will enjoy and cherish forever. I could just put all these quotes on a t-shirt, honestly, uh-huh. and sell them because they're so great. And I, I would love to dive into this a little bit more. I know we kind of hit on this um, uh, throughout this whole talk today, but I'm curious from your perspective, what company core values are the most attractive to applicants? Remote work. <laughs> That's a top one. Um, now, remote work's key. People's lives have changed. They've adopted new ways of living. Um, PTO, being upfront with that. And I will say, you know, um, unlimited time off can sometimes be a red flag to applicants. Um, what that means is a bit company and business owner is less accounting work, less HR policies. But if you approach um, that, especially knowing that, um, you know, employees may use that in a way that you didn't initially anticipate, you need to create very strict or very clear policies if you're going to create unlimited paid time off. Um, so ultimately, I think um, the benefits really lie based on what I've seen around how people are able to be productive, not stigmatizing it, not putting it within a bucket. Um, but then, of course, there's so much more when you think of benefits, um, 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 paternal and maternal care, um, showing yourself and, and showing your allyship through a number of different um, ERGs and support groups for people and persons of so many different identities. I think those are all really key things that you should speak up on, be wrong, but don't think that that's an issue. Don't think that that doesn't mean you can be right later and really help people progress in your company. Asia, would, would love to get your thoughts on, on benefits you can provide to employees. Yeah, I'll make this pretty simple. Um, from like a values perspective that may be, you know, representative on a site or a job description or whatever the case is or the benefits, um, benefits, and but definitely values don't have a value that's there um, that you can't directly explain how that shows up. Uh, applicants today are really, really, really not messing around. Um, there's a lot of opportunities. I know of a lot of high, high potentials and really impactful employees today that are being super scrappy and like, you know what? 
I'm going to get into some eBay. I'm going to get into some uh, NFTs. I'm going to Uber. I'm going to DoorDash. And I'm going to, I'm going to build a little runway for myself for three months until I find the right fit, until I find the right company. And they're going in there and they're asking very directly, tell me directly how these values show up. Like quite literally, tangibly. Show me how your values and your policies integrate. Show me how your values in the workflow integrate. Show me how your values in some, some things that are happening within the team or the company's, you know, they want to know quite literally. So um, I don't think we're in a world anymore where you can just throw some values in a poster or throw values on, um, on a JD and that will attract someone. If it does, kudos for you, but they're going to go into the interview. They're going to ask very directly, show me how these values integrate into the actual um, environment within this company and, and how they actually show up day to day. And if you can't answer that, again, I'm seeing a lot of colleagues, friends, people in the industry that are saying, you know what, I'm not finding the right fits right now. I'm going to leave the company that I'm at. I'm going to say scrappy right now. I'm 27, don't have any kids, no significant partner quite yet. Yeah, I'll say scrappy for a bit of time until I find the right fit. And I'm going to be very hard on the hiring manager to, for them to give me very visceral and clear and transparent information. Um, so that's happening in today's, today's workforce. Yeah. Yeah. And I love saying, or this is something that's, that's a fact, you know, by the time you're meeting with the candidate, they have three job offers um, at companies that sometimes will pay more that may have a, may not pay as much, but have a certain benefit that you didn't add. So let your culture do this often. And like you said, don't put things there that you can't explain. Or uh, may I say this, don't put things there that you can't, that your even early talent acquisition recruiter can't explain. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, 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 my, you're, I'm about to freak out. Hold on. That is so true. That is so true in a great way. I'm going to agree with you. I, I'm scratching my head. I got to be, I got to calm down. That is, we have to stop doing that. Please do not put folks in a position to articulate something where they just sound like they have no idea what they're communicating or talking about or reading it like it's a transcript or or like, you ever watch like ESPN or the news where you can clearly tell they're just reading off of something and they're kind of just going through the motions? There are so many recruiters out here that are at a junior level that are just doing the screens and you can just tell it's not authentic. They don't really understand. Maybe they just came on board a couple of weeks ago and they're just being thrown into thrown to the wolves. Don't do that. Really train your TAs, really train the folks that are playing in that talent space to be able to very grandly articulate some things. So, Michael, thank you for that, because that happens a lot and that will definitely turn off a really high level employee. Yeah, it's that transparency. And if we ask employees to be authentic in the workplace, we have to ask companies to do the same from the get-go. So love that message through and through. And with two minutes left, I have a closing uh, question for y'all. Where should a company start if there is not a defined cultural statement or defined values to then build off of? Can I jump in here, AJ? Yeah, I'll let you take this one home. Yeah, um, at the end of the day, there's, again, the culture, we're figuring that out. Um, you know, uh, DEI, we're figuring that out. But we need to hire people. I highly encourage you, and I'll share the link here, for you to check out Engage, uh, and a special tool that we've built and we're offering to members at a discounted rate in order for them to understand how to hire. It's a very simple process. Within 90 minutes, you're understanding what core competencies you care about. 
you know, we've just listed off a number of them, but sometimes you need to be able to just throw that dart on the wall and see what sticks. Of that, we have seven psychology-backed, already pre-verified ways that you can explain culture in a way that feels natural to you. So if you want to, at the end of the day, put butts in seats, if you need to place people to grow your company, I highly encourage Engage as an easy way to start building cultural competency within your hiring process. Outside of that, I would definitely um, guide towards DEI reports. There's exceptional ones that come out from Culture Amp and McKinsey to start looking at how the market is perceiving culture so that you can see what are some of the questions that maybe an employee's asked me. And I just don't feel comfortable, you know, even sharing that publicly yet. Culture Amp does an amazing job on taking in those uncomfortable conversations. And in their annual report, Culture Amp annual DEI report, they're telling you, here's some transparency towards what the workplace looks like. After that, of course, my understanding and what we've done from a culture report is an amazing tool for you to be able to gauge on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis how culture is trending. Has there been positive sentiment or low sentiment? And here are some examples of topics or terms that are used. Um, it starts with just base education, um, which is what I think Engage does exceptionally well. From there, you can take in some data, just understand this market, and then start measuring yourself against an objective benchmark in the culture report, something that can be turned on within 72 hours. Um, again, we always are focused on giving people the best opportunities. Um, I experienced such a shitty um, um, experience with a manager, and I never want that to happen for supervisors, managers, and employees alike. So always glad to help. Really, really honored to be able to sit in front of you all. And thank you, Gabby, and, and Lamore and everyone at Power to Fly for this. Yeah, with that, we are at time. Michael and AJ, much appreciation for both of you, the work you do. It's incredible. Uh, any last shout outs as to um, where to find y'all or, or get in contact or anything? Yeah, I think Michael just plugged a lot of things. Uh, the podcast is also a great one as well. I, I put that in the uh, in the in the chat, there's about 700 episodes to kind of go through um, all with this same level of energy and perspective. And Michael's on there a few different times. So there's there's a lot of great value. So enjoy that. And, and yeah, let's all have a good day. here. Thanks. Y'all. Thanks. Let us know. Yep. Take care. Thanks. Peace out.